Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's BudPod129, late pod. Late pod, but still great pod. <laughs> one, two, nine. Um, last year was one, two, eight. Um, I want to eight, yeah. One, two, nine. One, two, nine is, um, is a German on a diet who's been tempted by chocolate. <laughs> I want to nine. nine. <laughs> Willst du ein bisschen Schokoladen? Oh, I want to... Nine. Nine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think is the word is the word for fat in German just F E T T just fit. Fit like Boba Fett. Fit. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Fetten. Um, Are the Germans fat? I guess there's a sort of jolly German, the kind of big round opera German. Yeah, and the German, the Lederhosen, and drinking the beer and the eating the the chocolates. But um, no, I guess not. I I think of well, what's the kid in Simpsons? Oh, Otto. Otto, yes. Please, I'm full of chocolate. <laughs> but I think he's is he Austrian, not German. Oh, maybe he is. I don't know. He's always wearing Lederhosen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've never really like properly uh, considered before. That he's Austrian and not German. No, that he's always wearing lederhosen. Yeah. Like, he's turning up to school every day in national dress. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty cool. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Oh, man. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I... Every German I ever met, really, was... Well, not every single one, but the vast majority of them were sort of just tall and thin. Yeah, that's that's the image I have as well. Kind of like the Dutch as well. It's very tall and sort of thin. Yeah, maybe it's just self-discipline that, or just national discipline, keeps them all standing up straight or something. Yeah, yeah, and you, they're not particularly sporty. They're good at football, I guess. Um, maybe they're just still so guilty about the war that they're like, "No, I don't deserve this." <laughs> They're just full of, yeah, self-effacing. No, not for me, no. <laughs> uh, have you ever worn yeah. lederhosen? Mm, no. No. No, I, I, I don't culturally appropriate. That would be a very uh, funny for you, to, for you, Phil, to be cancelled by Germany. Yeah, I don't want to be cancelled in Berlin. <laughs> cancelled in what Berlin a, what sounds a, what like a, a, a trance album. <laughs> like some kind of electronic music album released in the sort of Twitter age. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't want to be cancelled by the Germans. They Historically, they take their cancellations quite seriously. And you're a huge hit so far on German Netflix. 
Yeah. You wouldn't want to lose that. Netflixin. Yeah, I'm I'm big on Netflixin. Yeah, you don't want to... <laughs> the people you're making people laugh on Netflixin, you're making a lot of Deutschmarks. You don't want to get you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose the endorsement of the Niedermeyer Sausage Factory or Weissbier. Speaking of uh, speaking of um, my Netflix uh, special and um, what, what the oh, fuck's sake, my brain's not working. But <laughs> it is um, early. It is early. It's early for us. But my my special, the thumbnail of my special was featured on uh, the Onion story. That's right. This week, which was really great, even though it was a is an Onion story about a fake. Jeffrey Dahmer stand-up special, <laughs> yeah. but in the image of his of his Netflix graphic in the bottom, in sort of examples of actual Netflix shows, my my special is first one. Yeah, yeah, you're right, fucking there, peeping out from over the little end of the picture, like a little um, uh, Leroy, whatever the character is, who peeks over the wall. It was such an unexpected endorsement and a sort of complicated one because I am being associated with a, a serial killer. But you know what? All publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Would you uh, prefer a different serial killer to Jeffrey Dahmer? Well, I'm not a young white woman, so I don't really know my serial killers. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> huh. Do I... I don't really... I don't think I have a uh, preference. I don't really know anything about Jeffrey Dahmer. I kind of have to look him up and he killed some men and boys and maybe ate a, a few uh he ate bits of them yeah and he he tried to he tried to create zombies i think oh shit really yeah he would drill open people's heads and inject stuff inside and see if he could make zombie slaves and stuff wow bit of a goth then was he bit of a goth <laughs> that's a weird thing about serial killers is that the stuff they do is like the most like gothic and goths are really interested in it but they always dress in like plaid shirts and jeans and that's it, yeah. Almost every serial killer is really, really normcore. Super normcore. Super I guess, normcore. I guess I'd... I would want... Um, who's the guy that David Tennant played recently on the ITV? Oh, Dez. Show. Dez. Dez. Oh, what's his name? He's another... Um, I want to say... I, 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 it's not Dez... Dez. <laughs> Dez Lynam, the serial killer Dez Lynam. <laughs> yeah it's just Des. his crimes coming to light uh only just now um i can't remember his name but yeah why would you want him because because he's already got an itv thing i guess it's because he's british des nilsson dennis nilsson yeah, there you go i because he's british you know i want to i want to keep it british um and i i'm a big david tennant fan um I met David Tennant once when when he was hosting Have I Got News For You. I was oh, doing, yeah? Was it? I think it was my first one. And I just watched Jessica Jones on Netflix. Mm. And David Tennant is the, um, the bad guy in that. And he's amazing in it. It's, I love that series so much. The first series of Jessica Jones is so good. And David Tennant is amazing in it. And um, I make a habit of saying hi to people I really admire just as they're coming out of the bathroom. Yeah. And you want to? He came out. You want to get us? And I was just like, get a bit of the 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 scent of what they've been up to. <laughs> it's like, oh, David, and I was on the way to the bathroom. Ah. So, so you know, the the subtext was, I have piss that I need to <laughs> expel from my system. 
Um, but before I expel this piss, this toxic, toxic, disgusting piss, I'd like to shake your hand and say I really love you, love you and Jessica Jones. I thought you were great. Um, uh, but I, I thought at the time, I wonder if he was... Because he must have... At the time, he must have still been getting so much Doctor Who stuff. Oh, yeah. It never stops. That's a and lifetime thought, yeah. of, of madness. And I thought, I, I bet he appreciates someone saying he, they loved him in something else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you'd think maybe, so. Maybe loads of people said, liked him in, in Jessica Jones. Because, like, Doctor Who fans are crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, um... If, if I mean, we, you and I know a few Doctor Who fans, and sometimes you'll see one of them tweet or, or retweet someone else's tweet, and it'll be like, um, uh, terribly sad to hear the news of the passing of Andrew Jiminson, uh, Doctor Who uh, star or performer or whatever, and da, 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 and you sort of go, oh, what? Who's that? And I don't know if you think this... Yeah, it's like Doctor Who prop designer, 1968 to 1972. <laughs> yeah, or sometimes it's just be like, he he was inside one of the non-moving Daleks <laughs> on the 17th occasion that we saw Daleks. He was the orange one, and people will be like, oh, no, and they'll all know. Yeah, it's I've ne I never ever got a Doctor Who thing. I tried to watch a couple, and I just thought this is like a, watching a school play someone filmed. I c I couldn't I can't do it. I liked um I liked some of them when I was when I was young. I enjoyed it, but I'm quite a hard sci-fi fan. So when they started um every episode, uh, when every episode was about something being solved with love, I just was like, come on. Oh really? Yeah, it's very it's very like oh the universe can sense the power of your love and sometimes that can reverse time or whatever it's, it's that kind of thing not all the time that's... but sometimes and you just think oh come no use a laser or something come on naff, naff. that is naff um although uh, the christopher eccleston period when they brought it back was quite exciting although i was slightly too old at that point i still enjoyed um that's the david tennant one isn't it no christopher eccleston was when they the brought it back one. the first one all right the first new one the first new one. You know that Doctor Who wasn't on TV or being made for like 40 years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the first I Doctor the first Who, when they back... brought it back, was Christopher Eccleston. Oh, this is how little I know or care about Doctor Who. See, compared to you, I'm going to be the one tweeting the condolences to the family of Mercy, Mercy Jenkinson, who was the sexy dancer in episode <laughs> 503, The Doctor's Regret, set in a Las Vegas strip club, 1968. Um... It's funny you talk about that love thing, that the universe can sort of sense love. I've just started reading Dominion by Holland. What's his name? Tom Holland, the historian. Oh, yeah. Not Spider-Man. No, Tom Holland. He's busy. Spider-Man hasn't. He's a bit busy. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I've, I, I don't really know anything about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of getting the idea from the first few pages that the thesis is about. It's, it's about, like... How much of mod the modern world, especially in the modern Western world, is Christian culturally? Yeah, and uh, even if we are largely secular societies now, and so this idea of of love as this force in the in the universe, kind of like gravity, um, I, is very Christian, I think. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and so. When in Doctor Who, when they do that, or in fucking Harry Potter, when the the answer is love and, and that d defeats the wizard for zero reason, it's yeah. all 
it's all everyone's just being everyone's just being Jesus and they don't even realize it. Well, this is this is the problem with like um, that kind of performative Richard Dawkins atheism. Because, well, that actually, to be fair, Christopher Hitchens and maybe Dawkins said you need to read the King James Bible cover to cover to understand properly any Western literature ever. Well, since it was published, since the 1500s, because all the turns of phrase, all the language, all the ideas are so deeply written into the fabric of society. Whereas, like, Mm. in the Soviet Union, when when the Soviet Union got all formed, they thought thought that you could snip those roots away like scissors, you know, you could just cut them. And you could create the new Soviet man, e.g. a human being yeah. born in a kind of neutral amniotic sack kind of of society that doesn't have any outside influences of the old corrupt ways. Mm-hmm. And, guess, and it was like purely rational. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it didn't work, obviously. Um, yeah. Because you can't, you can't divorce yourself from it, which is why when people say, oh, the West is very Christian, and people are like, oh, actually, Sweden's really atheist. And you go, yeah, but I bet they still have all this love stuff and uh, yeah but they still have like welfare and equal rights yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly well that's the thing i mean i remember your, and a weekend and fucking yeah. yeah well your your friend and mine uh and uh, excellent comedian mr ahir shah had had in one of his shows a few years ago pointing out that he said he said uh, when he talked about contemplating picking a religion he was saying maybe mm. christianity because we're we're all christian really you know point and he was yeah. pointing this out he was pointing out as well that like it's the origin of the idea of human rights as well it's kind of very hard to divorce from how incredibly crizzo everyone was yeah 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 it's yeah it's interesting i look forward to reading this very long book <laughs> but i i just finished my book and i have to i have to keep i have to I have to get straight on another i've always got to have a book going what's the last one you're just, reading the last one I just finished was Filth by Urban Wilde. That's right. Which I loved. I loved it so much. He's he's such an amazing writer. I've 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 still not seen Train Spotting, but I've read it. Ooh. Mr. Literature. Yeah, I do like I do like reading something before I watch yeah. the the film if I can. I <laughs> I tried to do it with Lord of the Rings and it was bloody impossible. Yeah. Yeah. But there was there's one bit in in Return of the King the third film, yes. At the beginning, they show, uh, they show how Gollum became Gollum, right? Yeah. And how he used to be a hobbit, and he's corrupted by the ring. Uh, in the books, that happens right at the beginning, um, but in the films, they save it to the last film. And so I had read that that sequence before I saw it, and it was shot for shot how I imagined really? it. Really. And I, and I felt so good. I felt so clever, and I was. I felt so reassured by the about the value of literature and filmmaking in one in one moment. That's great. It was um, yeah. And, and so now I kind of now the challenge for me: if there's a book and a film out, I want to read the book, see if I picture it correctly, and then check with the film. The the film is like the exam results. <laughs> I know that's a reductive, dumb way to look at literature and culture, but it's fun, and um, and I like to do it. It is fun. Um, uh, anyone listening, and also to you, Phil, I recommend uh, reading Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy before you don't watch the movie and watch the TV series instead. Oh, when's the TV series from? Like the 80s? 70s? Not sure. No, no. it can't be the 70s. That was when the book came out. It must be the 80s. Let me find out. 
But the book is incredible, and the movie is absolute dog eggs. <laughs> dog eggs. <laughs> really, really. Yeah, I've only seen the movie, and I, I'll, I came out thinking, I guess I'm stupid, because I had zero idea what any of that was about. I read the book before I watched the movie, and I didn't understand the movie. Yeah. Because it's gibberish. It's one, it's one of the best cast, be- most beautiful-looking, worst films I've ever seen. Yeah, gotcha. And I, I love that book. Um, yeah, but I know what you mean. It, when, when it happens and you feel clever and you... It does ultimately... I think that's one of the best examples that you've given there of, like, the point of engaging with art. Like, when it all lines up, it, it feels good. To, yes, yes, yes. Yes, it does feel good. And, and I don't know why. You, you can't really put a, a, your finger on a reason as to why that felt good when I saw... When I saw the Lord of the Rings depicted in the way I I I imagined it, because I guess there's a kind of connection. I guess you feel a connection between yourself and the people who made yeah. it. Like we we have not been shown these images. We all we've we've just seen the text, and in our own minds we've interpreted the text and built our own built the world that the text describes. You know, imagine the characters, imagine the the movements and everything, and to have that. Um. To have those two interpretations sort of agree with each other. Yeah, I guess you feel a connection, don't you? You feel a connection to, well, it's impossible to look, society and culture and other people. It's impossible to look inside another person's head, but art is the only way that you can get close to that. And a hammer. Oh, he is a Jeffrey Dahmer stand-up. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was a thesis he was trying to disprove there. Peter. Yeah, that was his defense. That art was the only way, that art was the only way into someone's head. That was his defense to the baffled police detectives. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I I just think yeah, I think that's the that's the thing that's missing from a lot of like arts education and stuff, where it's sort of like um, uh, you know, like do you remember in class people were like why why would we why would we read this or what's the point of this? Yeah, and it's like well, it's the point of you know all of life, so. I mm, yeah exactly. There's nothing else. There's what, nothing else to do once anything. you've nailed food and shelter. Yeah, I I I never understood why people said that about maths either. It's like, what's the point of learning sine, cos, and tan? We're not going to use it in everyday life. It's like you, you will if you're an engineer. <laughs> or, or yeah. What they meant was, I'm not going to. Yeah, I've already decided. I've decided I don't want to do this. Any mm. of these numbers? Mm. Although I did grow to hate English. I, I when I started English at GCSE, we had this teacher, Mr. Moore. He's from Newcastle, and this is in Brunei. Oh, uh. so you know, you can imagine the effect of your first Geordie accent in in Borneo. <laughs> uh, it was baffling, <laughs> but um, uh, he was brilliant um, at first. He was like this sort of freewheeling. We're just talking about poetry. We're writing things and. I loved it so much, and then, and then the curriculum kicked yeah. in, and suddenly we were just reading through this prose and and coming and and sort of second guessing the authors and coming up with reasons that they'd written something one way and and all the hidden meanings and stuff. And I never bought it ever, ever, ever. I never bought the ideas these hidden meanings. It obviously, it became like a running joke between Mister Me and Mister Moore. Like he'd say, of course, he's used the word 
Apple here to to evoke the image of um, Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, and I'd just be in the corner just shaking my head. <laughs> and he'd be like, "Phil, I can see you shaking your head." And I'm like, "It's just an apple. It's just an. It's an. He's written an apple because it's an apple." There's one poem that he showed us that was about like the birth of a baby or the birth of a snake or something, yeah. and he's like, the, "the The lines are all irregular because it's meant to look like." Um, was it an ECG? What's the the scan you do on a on to hear hear a heartbeat? Ultrasound. Oh yeah, an ultrasound um, scan. I'm like, that's ridiculous. And <laughs> a few years ago, I saw it was shared on the internet. It was like a collection of letters a disgruntled student had sent to authors, saying, "My teacher says you've got all these. What you've written here has all these hidden meanings in it." Is that real? Is that true? And all the authors, pretty much to a, a, a person, all the authors wrote back saying, nah, I just said apple because it was an apple. I just thought of an apple. Well, Phil, now we get to the top, the idea of the death of the author. Right, which is which means, is this, is this, a, is this the question of intention versus interpretation? Yeah, and also the fact that, like, let's say that you're reading a, a piece of prose and it's just full of the words, like, shaft and knob and like these big long veins and you sort of say to the author this is very gay and penisy and he's like no it's not he's really conservative like yeah. <laughs> maybe he doesn't know how, pe- how penisy his writing is right okay. so he, why is he the god of who's in charge of it you know um yeah yeah i can see that and there's a good anecdote i think it's isaac asimov the sci-fi um writer he walked past a lecture hall once where someone was lecturing about one of his novels and he thought uh, in the university he was working at and he 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 eavesdropped on it and the guy was saying all this stuff that he didn't agree with about exactly this kind of thing you're talking about and then he politely waited for all the students leave at the end of the lecture and he sort of said to the guy oh hi and then, oh my god it's you you know and he said oh i just want to say you know that that's not what i meant and that's not what this is. the guy uh, the lecturer said who are you to say what you meant you know, he said, <laughs> right. you don't control this anymore. This this piece of art is out there now. Yeah, and and to an extent, I'd agree. Um, but I think what I had a problem with was, you know, he wasn't saying like you can interpret it this way. It was like this is what the writer was trying to do intentionally. Yeah, well, that's and that I never bought. Well, that's the trouble if it's prescriptive. I mean, it's a bit. It's I think it's a lot easier to sell in poetry where if you've ever tried to write a poem, you have to like choose each word, like picking a a, a new piece of furniture from a catalog. Like you can't just yeah yeah yeah. It's like uh, you have only so many words per line, so you got to be very careful. When it's just prose, and they go. He put, took off his, his shoes and put them by the door. And then you're trying to go, the door, and turn it into a whole thing. <laughs> then I'd agree. But equally, like, um, I think it's, what is it about? It's about engaging kids' imaginations into the idea that maybe they should be looking for a second or third yeah. layer. As opposed to just no, going, I can see that. well, I don't know. I read Animal Farm, but it was just a silly story about pigs, wasn't it? Pigs shouldn't run a farm. <laughs> Yeah, sure. That's the trouble is that you're contending with a room full of acne-ridden freaks who, th- if you're not careful, they'll just come away from Animal Farm going, now the lesson of Animal Farm is humans should run farms, not pigs. And they do. So, <laughs> good. <laughs> good. It was a chilling peek into an alternate reality where farms are run by pigs. Thank God it's not the case. 
<laughs> it's a cautionary tale to remind us to never let farms be run by pigs. I, Thank you, Orwell. <laughs> I only hope that the farming industry sits up and takes note <laughs> from this timely warning from history. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I always, I always love it when campaigners and, and whatever say we, we need to sit up and sit up and take note on uh, sit up and take notice is like the idea that we're all just kind of slouching all the time <laughs> <laughs> uh, what huh oh, oh who's that <laughs> i've noticed something oh we're all just like a, a stoner who's about to get burgled <laughs> you've got to, what have you got to do you got to sit up and take notice then you have to buckle in yeah um have the conversation yeah um, have the frank and open conversation. Got to buckle up because it's time to talk about X. Yeah, and you... it's time to talk. I, I I always love it when people say, especially especially men need to talk about mental health. Can you know how everyone talk? First of all, any appeal to talk about mental health now is like uh, all we talk about is mental health. But like when they. When they say like men, men need to talk. Men, it's time to open up and talk. Men, and I always wonder what, like in the street, where, where, where are we meant to talk? <laughs> well, just wandering around, going, I'm sad. Also, um, they're basically just saying like a bunch of people without qualifications should try and kind of do therapy on each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The- While you're at it, if any of you got have got like a pain in your in your lo- lower belly. You need to get a scalpel and just perform surgery. Get right then and get there. Your, get your mates to scalpel you. Me and my friends have actually organised a weekly uh, a surgery party where we just kind of get together and we open up our bodies with knives and we just perform surgeries on things we we think we might need. Look, we just we like to get together. We have a couple of pints. We fire X-rays at each other. <laughs> It's good. It's good for you. Um, I, well, also, like I, I found this out. Um, uh, I was speaking to my girlfriend, Phil, and I think one of the reasons that we say all we talk about is you know male mental, mental health or whatever is because we work in that's right the arts. Yeah, we work with we're at the tip of the liberal metropolitan elite sphere, Phil. It's true. 
So it's true. Whenever anyone, that's why to, that's why you and I get that resentful feeling when you see some tweet saying like, "Ah, uh, has anyone even heard of this problem?" And it's like the fiftieth tweet we've seen that day. Right. And you want to say, "All I hear about is this problem." My my waking sure, okay. life is consumed by this. Okay. But I was talking to my girlfriend about some of the offices that she used to work in, uh, in a normal proper job that contributes to society. Um, unlike mine, and she, like some of her stories are like from the fucking seventies. Yeah, this is why you need someone like this. Dispatches from the normal world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're 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 inside the arts where people are sort of going. Perhaps the sixth wave of feminism was actually the seventh if we split it in two. But also, I mean. It's still, it's still some men's mental health. It's still the kind of thing you see on sort of the one show or Good Morning Britain all the time. So oh, yeah, I, I do true. feel like it has quite a lot of mainstream cut through. Oh, it does, yeah. But that's, but the, it's, it's, it's ultimately hollow, isn't it? Because that's all it gets. You get someone on the one show going, hmm, and now a very special feature, and, and then mm. there's not like any more therapists. It's not like a, there's no more money, is there? There's never any more money for anyone. No, yeah. It's just like, everyone expects that now that Philip Schofield has done an address to camera, or uh, there's been one article in one of the less read newspapers, then a bunch of incredibly repressed, thuggish men are all going to break down, like like, um, in a movie where you kill the head vampire and all the other vampires kind of snap out of it. You know how all these really toxically masculine men always looked up to Philip Schofield? (laughs) (laughs) You know how they took all their social cues from Philip Schofield? Well, (laughs) Well, guess what? Who better positioned to change that culture? Yeah. If anything is going to strike at the heart of the toxic patriarchy, it's this um, show in a basement in Soho. Where it's in, already being advertised in all the the hot spots you can imagine, where you know everywhere toxic men hang out. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it, a lot of this, isn't it? Is I always think is like having a big um, a big session on why skipping school is bad on uh, Monday morning at nine a.m. What do you mean? Well, the people who skip school aren't going to be there, are they? Oh, I see, I see, I see. It's really bad to be late to school, and you're going to find out all about that at 7 a.m. <laughs> be on time. <laughs> no latecomers allowed. Yeah. At 6 p.m. on Friday, um, and bearing in mind Monday's a bank holiday, we're going to have a big seminar about the power of working late and not going to the pub. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it doesn't seem to be... Do you think it's helping? It's hard to measure, isn't it? The, the yeah, to, to how yeah, um, I don't think it does help all that much. All this talking about mental health, I, I I think it's good to to try and undo uh, the shame that comes with talking about your emotional and mental vulnerabilities. I think that's positive, but it, there's a danger of it veering into the um, domain of actively encouraging people to dredge up traumas and. Yes. Because um, you know we are built to forget things. I think we've to, we, we've lost sight of this. Yeah, our minds are built to forget negative experiences and emotions. And 
because just because you're no longer feeling these bad things does not mean you have yet to process them or or um, overcome them or understand them. You've forgotten. You moved on, and and I think we are in danger of losing sight of the value of that as well. Yeah, or even just, I mean, maybe you have processed it, but then people, I mean, you and I work in it. Yeah. In, or subconsciously, you, you might, have, you know, <clears throat> process subconsciously. And yeah. I feel like there are t- certain people now who think the only way forward in your life is to dredge up things again and, you know, and feel, try and almost feel worse about them than you did originally. Well, you and I work in, a, in an industry that monetizes trauma and incentivizes people to try and monetize it before they've processed it. That's true. Although in our industry specifically, it's 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 a false promise. It's 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 a kind of thing that does well at festivals, and will help your career for maybe a year, and then it's over. Um, because the general public, you know, funnily enough, wants from their comedians, um, um, something a little lighter in in the in the long run. In the long run. Yeah, I think, I, yeah. I think I think I think festival comedy has, you know, I think it's actually, um, I think it's hamstrung a lot of um, a lot of comedians. Yeah, but then I would say that that's only true of the ones who can't turn it into a a a, a, a dramedy. Yeah, pretty much every. But I can't I can't think of any I can't think of a case where that where that is lasted for anyone more than a year or two i really can't well i, I mean i i mean it wasn't based on necessarily a directly real experience but i will destroy you one what 11 emmys or whatever i may destroy you right i that's see a, yes that's a good that's point. a kind of comedy drama thing. All, all all comedies are dramedies now uh, if they're not brightly colored silly sitcoms mm-hmm. i don't know i feel like i may destroy you is, is the exception that proves the rule though it wasn't very traumatic, but I guess Fleabag as well is kind of a. Yeah, it was lightly, sort of lightly dramatic. No, I, I know what you're saying. I, I guess I'm thinking more like straight comedian, straight stand-up, straight comedy kind of thing. Well, I guess but, that's um, the trouble is that it's people who do it as stand-up, and then it's not. A, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you can write a sitcom with a plot, and it might be. It might be the irony is it might be too horrible to portray even as fiction. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. But then, what they've what what our industry has done is it's incentivized you to do a big show about it, and now you've got this kind of possibly quite traumatic to relive show that you're sort of obliged to then what tour? I mean, God. <laughs> yeah, that's a mad thing. Yeah. I mean, even like Russell Kane, who did the Dead Dad show. By the time he did the Dead Dad show, his dad had been dead for like years and years. It wasn't recent. Yeah, and he's reliving that. That that um, bereavement every night. But that's but I mean he did it the right way. Whereas I think I, I mean there's been people who've done the fringe that when we've been up there where they go, oh this harrowing thing happened uh, well about seven months ago. So I'm going to try and make it funny. And it's like no, you need to, <laughs> you need to get your finger out of that wound, man. Mm, mm-hmm, you got to mm-hmm, give that mm-hmm. at least a few years. Oh my lord. I mean maybe not. Maybe you processed it incredibly quickly. Good for you, but. Everyone, everyone uses the Russell Kane dead dad show to justify that. But again, that was like seven year gap. Was I mean, some people have killed their dads. Some, pe- <laughs> some people we know have killed their dads, Phil, and that's you know. And they got, got three stars. It's a terrible shame. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. Imagine doing something, having some horrible time, and then people are like, "Yeah." Mm. Well, I mean, uh, on the subject of of comedy, we re- it would be remiss not to, for us not to uh, mention the passing of. 
Sean Locke this oh, week. Oh, fuck, yeah. That happened... Um, no. Gosh, kind of... Yeah, that was very... A few days ago. Very surprising. It was. I mean, he was a guy who could... Like, he could do all of it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever watch um, or listen to any of 15 Stories High? I watched 15 Stories High, yeah. Um, when I, I watched it at university, and I was like, it was amazing. There's one episode, I think it's episode two or three. It's called The Taxi Driver, mm. I think. Which is one of the best episodes of a sitcom I've ever seen. It's it's really amazing. It's so funny. And it's got these great twists and stuff. Yeah. And it's got a, a young... Uh, Benny Wong, who is of course now famous for being in Doctor in the Doctor Strange movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's crazy. It's nuts. That it? is crazy. Um, but no, Sean Sean Locke could do yeah, like you say. I mean, uh, inventive, surreal, uh, creative sitcoms, panel show riffing, stand up. Um, yeah, it was all good. It's all really high quality and like yeah, and just unique. Is is such a shame. He's one of the greats. Yeah. Yeah, and and one it's it's and and worth checking out. I mean, he has like albums and and stuff that you guys can buy or download, or you don't have to just watch them. You don't have to don't limit yourself to clips of him on on eight out of ten cats, however good they may be. Yeah, I mean, fifteen stories high is that's the the one that's the overlooked that's one. Of, yeah, those are like the, that's for the hardcore comedian comedy fans. I don't know why it was overlooked at the time. It wasn't really a big hit at the time. Well, there's an interesting you can read an interview or something with the, him or the co-creator. Maybe was, oh, I can't remember where I read it, but they were talking about how like oh, suddenly the BBC starts putting your show on at like quarter past eleven. Uh, it was one of those. And I, yeah, um, and I guess this was before iPlayer, wasn't it? So yeah. like, if it wasn't on at a good time, you just wouldn't you wouldn't have seen it. I think it was either him or the co-creator who said, I, I, uh, "Oh no, it was the co-creator saying there was some petition for the BBC to like repeat, repeat it so that everyone could have a chance to look at it." But the co-creator was like, "No, nah, I remember once they delayed an episode because there was a live badger watch with Bill Oddie." <laughs> People are th- thick, aren't they? People are awful and thick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, imagine bloody hell. Yeah, so yeah, fifteen stories high. Check that out. Um, yeah, mad, 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 mad. And two. I mean, what was he fifty-eight or something? Yeah, Ugh. yep, fifty-eight. Real young. And 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 meanwhile, we've got to watch footage of the Taliban dancing around and having a great time. It's like, <laughs> why why can't we have nice things? We can't have nice things, Phil. It, everything's going to steadily become more and more. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's very. It's been a very cynical feeling week, hasn't it? Mm, yeah. Um, with Dominic Raab on his on his holly bobs. Oh yeah, that was that was nuts. I swear, M- MPs are going have been on more holidays than I have in the last two. Because I, I'm you know, <laughs> I like to think of myself as um, a discerning. Um, member of our democracy, yeah, and you know, I, I, I don't, I like to think that I, I, I hold politicians to account, <laughs> but even I go, well, they, yeah, they need a holiday too. I mean, they aren't machines. We all need a break. Yeah. But the amount of times I see that Dominic Raab or um, Boris Johnson was on a holiday just in the last year, I was like, I haven't had a holiday since last summer. Like, and that was the the first one for three years. Yeah. And I'm a fucking clown. <laughs> how many holidays? 
How many holidays are these people taking? They aren't constantly, seemingly on holiday. They're always like, uh, the Prime Minister was was um, playing croquet in Cornwall. Or whatever. Why? But he's the... I mean, <laughs> obviously, if you're just like, like some backbench, you know, dickhead, then go on holiday to Corfu for as many weeks as you want. I, whatever, you know. The, the, that broken fence down the road can wait. But if you're the foreign secretary and you go on holiday... Where, like, if someone says to you, if you go, I'm just off on my holiday, and people go, oh, um, you know how the Taliban are advancing towards Kabul? <laughs> Already halfway through I'm that, advancing, uh, I don't care, I'm advancing towards the beach. Yeah. Bye! Halfway through the word advancing, you should cancel your holiday. <laughs> you should, if you're the foreign secretary, you shouldn't be on holiday during a phrase that can later be described as the fall of X. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's going to be the fall of anything, you should be at work. But he probably went, well, there's always going to be a fall of something. I've got to go on holiday sometime. There's, ne- there's never a good time, Pierre. That's the thing, isn't <laughs> it? There's never a good time this... to go to, to Malaga. If you, if you look back and it's like, and the fall of is a big deal. You know, the fall of Singapore. The fall of Berlin. Yeah. Like, you don't, want to be, you don't want to be sat on a beach in your Crocs. <laughs> during a fall of you want to be at work in the fall of so when people say well and what was it like during the fall of the place you can say oh yes very busy and dramatic as opposed to oh, i don't know steve was in charge that day steve and trying to get him on the line mm. well what gets yeah the, also the sort of confusing thing about this is the the idea you get from all these guys these sort of psychos who want to be in high level government <laughs> is that the whole reason they've sort of ruined their private lives, yeah. destroyed their family lives, um, turned every day of their own personal lives into um, a high wire act uh, where the best possible outcome is that they leave office not completely dishonored. Yeah. You think they're willing to do this because they want to be there when these big things happen. Yeah. They want to be a part of great political events they want to be in the room where it happened yeah to to paraphrase um our 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 good friend lin-manuel miranda um and then when when you realize they they've been bunking off you're like well then what what have you done all this for i thought the whole point of your psychosis was that you want to be you want to be part of this history. But that's the thing. I think, especially the current cabinet, none of them are sincere. They're all doing this ironically, except Pretty Patel, who's terrifyingly sincere. <laughs> that's true, yeah. She really means it. She really wants to get rid of everyone. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the rest of them, I think really all they ever wanted was to say, I got the gold star. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I've got the It's biggest... CV building. I mean, it, it, it literally is the ultimate piece of CV building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, for a lot of they them. They want to say, I got the biggest badge in school. And that's it. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why they're terrifying. I mean, that's... All those uh, articles you can read about how like, Boris Johnson and David Cameron are essentially just still competing to be head boy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Do you think Matt Hancock is going to put former Minister for Health on his CV? Like, how bad does your resignation have to be for you not to put that on your list of qualifications? People think you're a different Matt Hancock who looks like that. 
<laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, is yeah, he yeah. like is he like is he gonna is he gonna still use it? Is he still gonna play it up? Is he still gonna use it to get sort of after dinner speaking gigs? Or does would he rather people forgot he was ever oh, he's gonna, a secretary for health? He's gonna use the fuck out of it. He's gonna say Minister for Health and National Shagger. <laughs> Hi, Matt Hancock, former health minister, current fuck machine. That's how he's gonna introduce himself. <laughs> If you've got the confidence to have an affair in an office that has a camera in, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Still really weird it had a camera because they said no other cabinet minister's office has a camera and they don't know why it was there. It was for the kinky shit that he was into. That's he, true. he put it in there. That's true. He was on OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah. He's he's more upset about the the change to OnlyFans uh, terms and conditions in the last week than anyone. Yeah, that's his... Matt re- Hancock, he was... Yeah. That's going to be his income now. That's his retirement gone. Yeah, he was gonna he was gonna get all dressed up in all the missing PPE and wank off. <laughs> all rubber and masks. It's great. Just splatting point blank into a face shield. <laughs> As you can see, it's very effective. It's a bit late for that, Matthew. <laughs> it's all a bit late for that, isn't it? Um. Mm. Yeah, well, I look forward to the career of Matt Hancock, Fuck Machine, uh, as I'm sure you do, listeners. Um, oh, and remember, listeners, um, 2nd and 3rd of September, my best of special filming. All of my best shit from the last five or six years being committed to film. And uh, the a, a sort of award-winning comedian Garrett Miller, who's excellent, doing his um, smash hit sold-out five-star show uh, as well. Uh, 2nd and 3rd of September, Pleasance Islington, North London. Yes, go to that. Come have a look. Um, uh, I'll see you there. I can't go because I will be on tour. Yeah. In the UK, um, which you can keep an eye out for. And also, um, a, a, a pre-order my book, Side Splitter, which I have to go into the office today to sign yes. loads of signed copies of. Yes, keep ordering signed copies. Keep Phil busy. Yep. Keep my wrist strong. That's right. Like Matt Hancock surely is <laughs> at the moment. Okay, thanks, Podbuzz. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.